Welcome to the Intersecting Us podcast, where math and life intersect. In this week's podcast, Brian and Dave delve into a mathematical odyssey and navigate the seas of infinite exploration. You know, each of us in life uh, try to do the best we can to understand things better and better and comprehend things. And a lot of times as we try to understand things, memorization becomes the thing uh, that we do. And is that the best way to go about it? Is memorization the best thing or maybe something a little bit deeper like exploration? That's what we're going to explore today here on our podcast. Uh, welcome Dave in here with me today. We're going to talk a little bit more about Francis Sue's book, Mathematics for Human Flourishing. Last week, we talked about chapter one, which is was just titled Flourishing. Uh, you know, flourishing has uh, maybe a number of definitions, but we're kind of going with his definition of referring to the wholeness in life where we're trying to realize our own potential. But as we talked about last week, we're also trying to realize and help other people in a communal way with their flourishing and potential. So that's where we are today. So today, it's this is a chapter, just as each one is, just one word, uh, exploration. It's an interesting word uh, when you're thinking about math. Maybe that's not the way most of you would start with. Maybe you would think about memorization or formulas, but this is exploration. So, Dave, why don't you start us off a little bit about, well, that word and the chapter and what kind of uh, really hits you good here in Francis Sue's second chapter of this book. Well, good. It's great to be here, everybody. I was thinking about pi. You know, that's what we do with math, right? is uh, how many digits of pi do we need in our world uh, that we live in? And so uh, maybe you're a math person and, and you calculate pi for a math problem. And usually uh, we write 3.14, right? That's probably the most common uh, or 22 over sevens. And uh, often we may add a few more digits just to be precise in order to make sure we get our math problem right. But let's say your job is to calculate the circumference of the known universe, and you need to get the accuracy of that to the width of a hydrogen atom. Well, that's kind of a much bigger problem than what we normally would think about. So, uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on like how big of a... How many decimal places do you think we need for pi in order to get that accuracy of the circumference of the known universe? Well, I'm going to say more than two. Uh, (laughs) That would be be my first thought. But I guess my my thought when you were talking about it was how in the world do we know <laughs> what the size of our known universe is? <laughs> that was my uh, exploration question, not so much about the the calculation of it. It's like calculating it is important, I guess, but trying to just figure out, you know, if you're going to measure something, you got to kind of know what, what you're measuring, you know, and I right. said that. Yeah, uh, you start thinking about like our solar system as a starting point and how big that is, like how far it is to the moon. And then, you know, my grandkids know, you know, which planets are closest to the sun and which one's furthest to the sun. And so as you go further out, how far are we talking about in light years, of course? And that is just our known universe, or that's just our solar system. And then I think that's a drop in the bucket compared to the known universe. 
Yeah, I, I do think it's, it's you know, we get, uh, you know, with the Hubble Space Telescope and the different uh, ways we have technologically been able to look farther out into the world. Yeah, it uh, it's a speck, I think, as they say, uh, pale blue dot and then the speck of a, a solar system. Uh, it's not much. So I, I think my my uh, answer, you didn't say it had to be precise. So I think. I think my answer more than two decimals is probably. <laughs> I think that's going to be right. <laughs> yeah, because then you get down to the uh, smaller size where we're talking about what is the uh, uh, size of an a- hydrogen atom. That's getting pretty small, obviously. And so if you go from one light year to, let's say, a mile, that's that's a big decrease in magnitude, and then you go from like a mile to uh, an inch. That's not quite so much, but then maybe from an inch to a uh, hydrogen, the width of a hydrogen atom. Now, something tells me that's a big jump in magnitude. Yeah, I, I think it is, and I'm not off. Hey, I know that's one of the smallest things that we can right. know. Yeah, so. According to uh, a YouTube channel, and I guess the guy's name is James Grime, as I'm quoting, is that the number of digits of pi we need to be that accurate is 39. That's much lower than I would have anticipated. Yes. That is not that many, really. I mean, 39 doesn't sound like a very big number. It's uh, less than 50. And we could probably sit here in it for an hour and, and work on it and maybe even memorize that number. And so we, we could have that number memorized. And if we pictured like how precise that is, it just doesn't seem like it's super precise. I mean, it's precise, but nothing to the magnitude that we're talking about here. And then, uh, I've heard this go all the way down to the Planck constant. So if we take it from the width of the hydrogen atom down to the Planck constant, we may add another 10 or even 20 decimal places or something like that. But let's, let's go like really uh, conservative 60 digits of pi would get you anything from the Planck constant to the circumference of the known universe. And, and so that, that's kind of interesting, I think, to think that the world, as big as it is, that we can encapsulate any calculation with 60 decimal places. Yeah, it's quite finite given the, mm-hmm. the number. And that's. The- yeah, yeah. And to think that we know pi to billions and trillions, I believe, decimal places, it gives you an idea about how unbelievably small that number is as far as what those last digits represent. If you're going to like look at it on a ruler, (laughs) I mean, it's just so incredibly small that uh, we, we, when we would have no way to even use words or pictures or thoughts to how precise that is. Well, and I, I think it also has the added thought process of, of making us realize how precise maybe uh, mm-hmm. that number is in the precision, you know, of only that many decimal places. And that I would suppose, and, and maybe, you know, I don't know if the YouTube did that. 
I would suppose that there was a lot of exploration that came up with that. You know, it's not something you really, I suppose, need to have a formula for or anything, but that is part of what, you know, this whole chapter that Sue was talking about is exploring in math instead of just, or in life and then math also, but, but also imagining instead of just memorizing and and doing rote things. uh, We've talked about that a lot on our podcast, but uh, this may be one of those places where exploration actually caused this to to be found. So I want to just try another one that's similar to pi, but think of uh, one of the most simplest shapes we can think of, uh, and that would be a square. And just assume that the length of each side is uh, one unit. So it could be one inch, one centimeter. The unit doesn't matter, but uh, just think of it as one. And assume it's like precisely one. And so not like about one, but we can somehow go into this universe where we know it's exactly that one unit. And now let's uh, assume that we want to measure the distance of the diagonal of that square. Do you recall, like, what that length would be? The diagonal and the, just be back to the Pythagorean theorem? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be, uh, well, I think it's the, if it's one, then one is square root of two, right? Yeah, square root of two. Yeah. So that's the distance. So now let's go measure that distance with, like, a ruler. And... Um, this is, I, I'm going by actually a video I put together that, uh, if you want to check out, but it's in our deep roots section and it's a video that explored this question, but, uh, explored a lot of questions. But one of the things it explored was what is that distance that, uh, the diagonal of a square is? And, uh, we know it as square root of two. So that is that number. And if we were to think about the number, we would, Type that into our calculator, right? Um, and so we've got calculator buttons for that. And uh, we might get, you know, four digits, uh, eight digits, or even 12 digits or something like that. And we think of that as the answer. But I don't know, Brian, if you recall, but that uh, root two would be uh, considered an irrational number. Right. And so uh, what do you remember about irrational numbers? They don't repeat. The yeah. Desktop. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that mean? I mean, how do we know that it, first of all, what does that mean? It doesn't repeat. Well, you don't have a pattern. Um, don't have a pattern. The decimals. And so you, you can only be, you're only as precise as as many decimals you, you want to go out to because of the infinity of math. You, you can never be infinitely precise, I guess. Mm-hmm. And with the so yeah, that leads me to my next question. Like how many digits are there? In the irrational number, an infinite number in, in the yeah. decimal, right? Yeah. There's so there's not a finite number. So first of all, just think about how we even know that's true. I mean, how do we how do we know that that distance has an infinite number of digits? Well, in we, some ways, we have to. I guess we have to assume it at some level. I mean, we we have the data. You know, as much data as we have, but given that we can't look at it for an infinite amount of time, we mm-hmm. can't actually say that we know a hundred percent sure. I guess maybe. I mean, 
for every the theorem would be for everything we know about it there's no repeating mm-hmm. um, but we would have to find another type of number that was like pseudo irrational that was after an infinite amount it starts the pattern starts you know mm-hmm. I, I mean, we'll find that someday but but, mm-hmm. but we really don't have a uh, just based uh, it's like it's kind of like science you know you you it's you know when hear people hear the theory of something they think well it's just a theory it doesn't have any no it's the best we can do with the data we have mm-hmm. uh, and i right. think that's true with the irrational too it's like there's no way to do it another direction that mm-hmm. would be using another equivocal term would be irrational <laughs> to think that, that there would be a, another way of looking at it given all that all the data we have shows mm-hmm. that it doesn't repeat Right. And so that's the perspective I think that most people would have. And it's what I would have if I was simply what I would say, thinking rationally, thinking from observation, thinking about how I would tackle a problem is that we, uh, we, you know, we couldn't like know for sure. But the cool thing is in math, we actually do know this with 100% certainty. And that's because uh, we can prove it with beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is irrational. And I go through one of the proofs in the video that I created. Uh, There's many different kinds of proofs. And if you think about it, that is another cool thing is that not only is it true, but we can prove it in multiple ways. And so, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in some of those statements, but probably the first thing I'd like to focus on is just the fact that in math, we can prove that square root of two is irrational. And so that, that, I mean, that's just kind of like amazing. We can prove that a number has an infinite number of digits, even if we don't, or there's no way we could even list it. So it's like, we can't empirically show it because we can't write all the digits, yet we know that this is true. Well, and I think it goes back to the idea of being able to use uh, limits or infinity in mathematical calculations so you can do the proofs, you know. Mm -hmm. You can't really do that. Uh, If you're just doing it empirically, you, you can't really do that. Right. Uh, right. I, so it, it, math gives us the tools, I guess, uh, to to do that. But you still have to obviously explore it. And I think the multiple attestations is very helpful. It's not that you you're not proof. If you, one proof is always good, better than none. But when you have multiple ways, methods of proving the same thing, that makes it more solid. In in whether it's in science or uh, philosophy or there's all kinds of different proofs out there for, for instance, the age of the universe. You're talking about the universe. It's like, well, there's more than one way to try to measure that, you know, by, by using, you know, red shifts and our different types of uh, speed of, of accelerations and all those kinds. But they all kind of like you were saying, they all do come back to essentially the same answer, which mm-hmm. gives you uh, some confidence that what we have is, proves it and beyond a shadow of a doubt in the math world. And that's what's cool about the math world. It, you know for 100% sure that it doesn't ever repeat because mm-hmm. of the proofs. 
in, now, in the physical world, you probably would never get there. You can't right, 100% right. sure. Yeah. The pie is an interesting theme because it's kind of difficult for us to prove the validity of pie because what pie is, it's a ratio of the distance around a circle to the distance across the circle. So how do we really know for sure that the number we come up with is correct? But the cool thing about square root of two is we can know for sure whether or not we hit that number exactly or if it's just an approximation. And so let's say if we come up with the first 10 digits of square root of two, then we take that number and we multiply it by itself. And if it exactly equals two, then uh, clearly it's a, it's a finite number. We've, we, we're done with the problem. But if it just gets us closer to two, then we know that, okay, 10 digits isn't enough. And, and we can like bound it by, uh, you know, a, a number slightly smaller and then another one slightly larger. And so if we come up with 10 digits, we could know that, let's say, 0.2 or 0.3 would be how you would bind that number. And if you use two, you were a little short. And if you use three, you're a little high. And then you can continue that process. And, and maybe you add a few more digits and multiply that out. But that is something that we can empirically determine. And so in my video, I actually show the first 5,000 digits of the square root of two. And we could take those 5,000 digits and multiply it by itself and determine, does this equal two or not? And we should be able to, you know, get a result that was slightly lower than two and a result slightly higher than two to confirm that, okay, 5,000 digits isn't enough. So when you are doing these types of things, um, you would, I guess you would call it, uh, is this type, I mean, in the video and the things you're doing, are you, are you, are you talking, is this kind of like uh, exploration or are you looking at it that way? Um, there, to me, it's exploring the idea of how do we know basic things in math for sure. And so what I'm saying is like a basic thing in math is what is the distance of a diagonal of a square of length one? Something that is about as simple as you can get. And as we go through, we could just say, well, the answer is square root of two. But that's not the exploration. That That's just the answer. The exploration is starting to ask, what is the square root of two? How many digits are there? If there are an infinite number of digits, how in the world do we know that there's an infinite number of digits? And so it's going down that path of asking, you know, why, what if, and all of these different things that go well beyond just knowing what the answer is. So you're, if I remember uh, one of the quotes from his, uh, Sue's chapter was exploration stimulates the virtue of creativity, I think is the way yes. to put it. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is because I, I would assume some of our listeners are thinking, okay, I, we probably got people on one side, people on the other, people in between. 
you've got some people are like, well, this is really cool. And I never thought about that way. And the other people are like, I don't know what the heck they're talking about. <laughs> Probably people in between. But, but I think he, in that, in the chapter, Sue hit pretty hard when you're doing these things because you're, you're practically doing what he was talking about that you're going for memorization, not just memorization and, but the understanding comes in the exploration and the virtue of creativity. And he hit a lot about, I think the one that, that we all can kind of grab our minds to, he did hit toward the end of the chapter was the, the drive to reach the moon mm-hmm. that it generated. Uh, so why are we even doing it? You know, that, that's out there today, practically. What, what, what does space extra? even do i mean elon musk has his own you know i mean people are doing that well what are we going to what are we going to get you know i mean don't we have everything we need here on earth you know but it's the idea of just brainstorming and the creativity but in that book if you remember dave he's talked about how how many everyday things we got from that Mm -hmm. um because of it so not that you have to have this and i think later chapters will talk about this but there is a practical side to it too, along with the creativity and the exploration. You know, he talked about like cordless tools and memory foam and home insulation and uh, scratch resistant uh, glass lenses all came from us trying to figure out how to get the moon, mm-hmm. um, the exploration. Um, mm-hmm. And when that's from a science side, but you know, as he goes into the math, he, he, he does a lot of that just in these first two chapters showing a couple examples and then then your video is another one it's not just what's the practical thing right now we don't really even know we're we're trying to prove something we're trying to understand it we're trying to explore and be creative but things can come out of that i guess mm-hmm. that was his point um that we don't right. even know right and the cool thing about math is that it's research uh lifespan if you want to think about that has no boundaries. And so things that, let's say, way back in Euclid's days or Archimedes' days, questions that they were asking, things that they were discovering, you know, Archimedes, he found a lot of things that were very theoretical and he found a lot of things that were very practical, like the lever and the, you know, the Archimedean screw. All of those things that he discovered are things that are still true today that are foundational and we have built new knowledge upon what he already had. And so unlike a lot of things in science where maybe we do a lot of research and like Henry Ford, he, you know, developed the model T. Well, how much of the model T currently exists in today's Tesla? Pretty much, you know, there's the tires and whatever. But the point is, is that a lot of that technology was good, but it's been replaced. And some of it gets built upon, but a lot of the things that we invest in outside of math get replaced. And so I know in my business, I've worked for as an actuary in insurance companies, and you've written code. And sometimes you write code and that code gets reused and into something more. And so that's like a concept of reusability that has poten- huge potential benefit. But if th- there's other times when it just gets thrown away. And so the cool thing with math is that math never gets thrown away. It's always being something that uh, if we can prove it to be true, 
It will always be true. And we've got that now that we can build bigger truths from. Yeah. And they do. That's the nice thing about it. They build on each other as time goes. And, you know, a lot of the stories you talk about in the Lazarus math on the site are, are that way. And I think as you were saying that it, it comes back to that whole idea. Uh, I can't remember that Robert Frost or one of the poets, you know, it's the idea, you know, it's not just the destination. It's, you know, enjoy the journey. And I think mm-hmm. uh, I remember I had to, I want to bring this one up because in this chapter, because this one made me think of you because of some of your past. He said that what if we explored mathematics instead of just trying to memorize um, and just in that way. But he said, what would it be like if we tried to learn the rules of basketball and practice only free throws? but never see a game and never play. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, re- I re- if I remember right, I think you were in high school, you were a free throw champion. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, he was taught, he was using that as an analogy of, you know, the joy is the game. The joy mm-hmm. is the, the unknown and exploration of the competition in the game and that. And then he relates that to the fact that, why it wouldn't it be cool if when we learned math that it was an exploration, not just a mundane process? Right. And imagine how different our experience would be if we could explore math in that way and learning it. And so, I mean, wouldn't it be cool if everybody went to math class, whether it's in high school or graduate or uh, undergraduate, and then say, we're getting to go to math class, man, this is going to be cool. You know, if, you, <laughs> if you're not, if you're going to math class and you're not having, not having fun, you're doing it wrong. You know, that's the kind of, uh, that was, I really thought that free throw thing was a really, it really, really clicked for me in that. In uh-huh. that. Well, it reminds me a little bit of Steve Jobs and that before Steve Jobs, the way technology people usually sold technology was they would give you data about how many megahertz, megabytes, gigabytes, and they would give you all these numbers about the technology that you were buying. And I don't know if you remember this quote that Steve Jobs had when he was selling uh, the iPod was that you could put 2,000 songs in your pocket. Oh, yeah. That was back like right around the turn of this century, I think. Right. And so he took something that was very boring numerical technology data that normally we would just throw out numbers of gigabytes and we would lose a point of reference like well what does this even mean and he right. had a way of taking it into something that like wow that that really means something i'm going to return to my story cuz i'm not quite done with it score root of 2 i we know 10 trillion digits of this number. So first of all, think about how many digits that is. And to think about uh, taking that number and multiplying it by itself and knowing that it will be 2.0000 with 10, probably 10 trillion zeros, and then like a three or something. And that is how accurate we are in that. But we probably have never like multiplied that number by itself because I don't think we could do that. But if we could, that's, we know for sure it wouldn't hit two exactly. It would just be about two. But anyway, let's think about what 10 trillion digits is. And so I just came up with one way of thinking about it. If I repeat one digit per second, how long would it take me to state all 10 trillion digits? 
I'm so I, I was thinking about the national debt when you were talking about that. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You could well, that's about, that would be, yeah. like, how big is the national debt? And like, yeah. how do you put your arms around it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it would take 316,880 years to speak that number. And so if you think about the history, you definitely have to go uh, back way before Adam and Eve <laughs> to go back 316,000 years and you say one digit every second. Well, that's how many digits we know of this number. Somehow, some way, we know that number. And we know for sure that if we multiply it by itself, it would be about two within 10 trillion digits, but we also know it would not be exactly two. Well, I think all of that, as you were talking about, one of the things that is, has always been a thing that kind of boggles my mind about just irrational numbers, but square root of two, is the fact that it doesn't, there's no, it's like, there's no pattern, there's no repeating. It's just like, well, it seems like eventually it would, you know, it's just, there's only, right. there's only 10 digits, you know, I mean, different, you know, you think you'd figure it out, you know, with some permutations and combinations, but but yeah, it just doesn't. And it's, it's a fact of, well, it's a fact of the universe. I was going to say it's a fact of math, but it's just the way that that comes in. So, but I right. think, you know, what you've been talking about is a lot of what he talked about in the chapter of just trying to explore and look at it. Again, one of the things we're doing, one of the things he's doing uh, is trying to get people to look at math in a different way. And that's mm -hmm. all all we have but as yeah. we kind of sum up here is there anything in the book or the video that you're talking about you want to summarize or well i think maybe i'll just summarize with my own big exploration that i have and uh i'll just give you the very short story of it all but when i was in college uh i was on a math project where i was asked to come up with a brand new problem that hadn't been asked before that was my own problem and then i had to solve it and so being a sports person, uh, the problem I came up with was what was the optimal distance to put a football on a football field if you put it on the hash mark to have the best angle to kick a field goal? Okay. And, uh, you know, you could put it really close and the distance is closer, but the angle is not very good. And if you put the ball way back then the angle isn't very good either. So somewhere in the middle there, there's an optimal angle. And so I thought, well, let's just find out what that angle is. Uh, what is that distance to put the ball on? And so I went and I solved it. I gave it to a presentation of my professors and, uh, and I was accepted. And that was the end of it. Well, then uh, just a few years ago, so this would have been 30 years later, I started wondering about whether I could actually like repeat that question because I'd thrown away all my notes. So I, uh -huh. I tried to repeat the math and uh, I pretty sure I got the same answer. But then I started wondering like, why is this the answer? And that thing then led me into a whole series of really cool things that um, I'm not going to go into today, but it was like an incredible journey of discovering and uh, it took me to different things in calculus. And then it took me to a circle. It took me to an infinite number of solutions and all kinds of surprises. I found a relationship between an arithmetic mean and a geometric mean. 
And so there were all these things that were embedded in my problem that uh, I just happened to be lucky enough to choose a question that had all of these interesting questions and concepts hidden behind the scenes. And it took me 30 years to actually start exploring that and think about it. But that was one of the most interesting and fun things I've ever done. And it was just pure for fun. Um, You know, it wasn't like any school project or anything like that, but it was one of the most rewarding math work uh, that I've done. Well, and I think that's, again, you know, in in your life and and mine too, to some extent, and then in the book, one of the things that comes to mind in the book is that Christopher, that the the guy he's writing a letter to the whole time, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to explore math in prison and all that kind of stuff. But I thought it'd be good to kind of end with a quote. Uh, it's on page 23 of, of, of Francis Sue's book. Um, it kind of, I think it encapsulates kind of what we've been talking about now. It certainly encapsulates his chapter. He says, you don't need a lot of resources except your mind to be a math explorer. And as a result, you can embark on an adventure from anywhere, a prison, a small rural town, a far-flung corner of the earth. It's no surprise then that math explorers can be found in every society throughout history. I thought he put that well. He definitely is good at turning a phrase. And so we do encourage you to get that book, Mathematics from with Human Flourishing by Francis Sue. It's a very good book. Uh, we're going to continue uh, going through it. We've just collected a couple chapters, just explored a little bit. Um, and, and next week, we'll, we'll, our next podcast, we'll look at another one. So this has been Intersecting Us with Dave and Brian looking at this uh, human flourishing book and trying to always intersect math and life. This has been the Intersecting Us podcast. To further engage with Intersecting Us, go to intersectingus.com.